Hello and welcome to the Revolution Begins at Home bonus reflections podcast. My name is Keris, I'm the producer here at the Revolution Begins at Home and after each episode I'm going to be sharing a couple of things the episode made me think about whilst I was helping to make it. It's me, back again, thinking about things and then saying them to you now. In last week's episode, Chantel interviewed Shan Doxy. Shan's a comedian. You may have seen her on the BBC, in a sketch about witches, or on Instagram, pole dancing her way through the pandemic. She told us about her experience of stripping while searching for a city job in post-financial crash London. I think that Shan and I actually left uni around the same time. I mean, I, I got quite lucky as I moved straight onto a postgraduate course whilst my friends applied for hundreds of grad schemes. It was a demoralising process and time-consuming and often fruitless. Shan described this culture where... You can be working and exhausted all the time and just not touching any money because the gap from when you go into work and you're hired to when the money actually hits your bank account is so nuts and I was in the final interview stages for four different jobs and was needing to like create all this stuff to get hired and things and it was like this doesn't work I I need to get paid now. Which was in part why she sought work at a strip club called Metropolis in Bethnal Green and Shan's experience is not unique. Chantal also talks about her own experience signing up to an escort service again out of financial necessity. But money is only part of the story. The conversation also focused heavily on street harassment and the kind of sexual and sexist verbal assault that is commonplace in other fields of work, like the service industry. Shan talked about how moving from serving in a bar to dancing in a strip club took her out of an environment where her superiors refused to do anything about catcalling and unwanted touching, and put her in one where the rules were clear and strictly enforced. Shan's experience of sex work, which she describes as 70% bad, 30% good, is obviously not universal. She made it clear that her experience benefited from certain privileges, like being able to find working clubs that had things like no-touching rules, and knowing, and being friends with, other sex workers. But it was still useful to hear about the world of sex workers' rights through Shan's story, because, as Shan explained in the podcast, we often abstract the issue and forget that there are real people involved. When we do this, we stop asking questions like, what do sex workers in the UK need? And start asking questions like, what does this policy say about our attitude to sex work? This process changes the incentives of the debate and allows for those involved, whether they're arguing for the Nordic model or other models of legalisation, or full or partial decriminalisation, to transform sex workers into many things. Fallen women, bad feminists, victims, representatives of everything that is wrong with society, instead of listening to sex workers as their own advocates. Shan made her point very clear. When you're talking about sex workers' rights, you are talking about sex workers who have their own stories their own arguments, and, crucially, a long, long history of organising. The history of sex worker activism is the history of workers' rights. It is the fight for unions and acceptable working conditions, but also it is the history of police protests to the end of stop and search and of prison abolition. It's the fight for trans rights, disabled rights and migrant rights. It is anti-capitalist and anti-racist as well as feminist because sex worker activism intersects with many other forms of activism, because sex workers are affected by so many of the structures of power that create discrimination and poverty and violence. When we asked Shan about the history of sex worker activism, she quoted from Juno Mack and Molly Smith's book, Revolting Prostitutes. Juno Mack writes, Sex workers are the original feminists, often seen as merely subject to others' whims. In fact, sex workers have shaped and contributed to social movements across the world. In medieval Europe, Brothel workers formed guilds and occasionally engaged in strikes or street protests in response to crackdowns, workplace closures, or unacceptable working conditions. 
15th century prostitutes arraigned before city councils in Bavaria asserted their activities constituted work rather than a sin. In 1917, 200 prostitutes marched in San Francisco in what's been called the original Women's March to demand an end to brothel closures. A speaker at the march declared, nearly every one of these women is a mother or has someone depending on her. They're driven into this life by economic conditions. You don't do any good by attacking us. Why don't you attack these conditions? I find this history fascinating. So I was about to say we owe so many of our rights to sex workers, but I mean, you're only included in that we if you yourself are not a sex worker engaged in campaigning for, for instance, sexual health education or immigration reforms or community support for rough sleepers, among many other things. And that seems like a pretty sweeping generalisation, given what we heard in last week's episode. I would like to be able to quote to you statistics on how many people in the UK have, at some point or another, engaged in sex work, but they're quite tricky to find. Even though sex work is legal in the UK, many aspects of the way that people practically engage with sex work are illegal, and it's still heavily stigmatised, so not something that many people would feel comfortable, say, checking a box about on a national survey. Not that they could even do that. No UK-based national surveys actually ask this question, so realistically quantifying the proportion of people who have been or are sex workers is kind of impossible. But just because we're not counting them doesn't mean that they're not there. There I go again with the theys and the wees. I think a really important thing that came out of Shan and Chantel's conversation is how so much of the conversation around sex work seeks to sideline sex workers, to separate sex workers out to something different and erase them from the other movements they have participated in, or use their employment history as a way of invalidating the things that they have built. Shan listed Sylvia Rivera as one of the activists from history that has inspired her, and one of the things that this episode made me think of is a clip from the documentary The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. It's about an hour and eight minutes in, and in it, Rivera is at a Pride march in 1973, and she stands up on stage and is booed by the crowd as she explains to them the work she is doing in the name of gay liberation and gay power. She talks about how gay men and women in prison were reaching out to her through the organisation STAR, which supported homeless queer youth. STAR was founded and run by Rivera and Johnson, and mostly funded through their sex work, and it saved a lot of lives of people who also probably would have been booed by the crowd at the Pride March, because they were trans and homeless and sex workers, and some of the most vulnerable people in the queer community at the time, and therefore not representative of the things that people had come to the party to celebrate. It's an uncomfortable truth, but an important one, that activism isn't perfect, and that just because a movement calls for equality doesn't mean that it includes everyone. Or, as Chantelle put it, when talking about feminism specifically. We have to understand the ugly side of feminism. Like, this is part of feminism. Like, part of feminism contains whorephobia. Feminism hasn't always protected the most marginalised. Feminism has got a long history of upholding patriarchy, but also sorting out women that have got the best class position so I think it's really important and just to make clear that's not necessarily that's not my argument is Professor Alison Phipps talks about this like we have the same I feel like there's definitely a crossover with the trans exclusionary radical feminists as well the again it's this consistency consistency like not protecting the most marginalized women and gender non-conforming people like because it has suited their, the, it suited the status quo, it suited their class position, it, stu- it suited what they what they want, and it's, it's, deeply, it, it's deeply troubling. It is important to be critical of the movements we are a part of, and to ask ourselves, who are they serving, how, and why? 
Not just that, we have to look at who gets to speak and who doesn't. So if you were listening to a politician advocating for the Nordic model, when the leading sex worker organisation in the UK is demanding decriminalisation, you need to ask yourself whose voice is more important. Shan explained how the current conversation around sex workers' rights in the UK is fraught with tension, and, I imagine, it can feel like a difficult thing to get involved in, especially if you don't want to support people or organisations that don't have sex workers' rights at heart, or, you know, think they do but are badly misinformed. Shan had this to say about what you can do to start supporting the cause. Activism isn't like a job that you put on your LinkedIn profile necessarily, it's people taking steps where they can to do stuff and in terms of everyday things that people can do to be more in solidarity with sex workers and fight for sex worker rights definitely fighting for decrim is the main (laughs) like that is again it's not the silver bullet that will solve all the problems by any means but it would definitely make a huge tangible difference but what I mentioned earlier about the stigma is something that everyone can change a little bit so for example if people are like telling an anecdote or a joke where the punchline is someone ending up having to like prostitute themselves is a phrase that people use and that being really degrading just kind of question that you know and be like why is this the example you can think of or when someone would be at their rock bottom and also just things like you know, as I mentioned earlier, there is the bigger thing of like sex worker activism and poverty relief are tied up. So I think just kind of seeing those connections a little bit more. And if people are talking about a sex worker and like, oh God, fell on hard times, whatever, like just getting people to think a little bit more about that. That's a human. That's a human with probably lots of different plates that they're trying to spin. What are their conditions that mean that they resorted to this? Is it because they exhausted all other options? in a good context, maybe this is work that they like. Maybe this gives freedom, independence. Maybe it's a line of work they enjoy. And, you know, I I know sex workers who are very happy in their jobs. I know sex workers who are absolutely fucking miserable in their jobs, but more mindfulness about the kind of bigger picture of why people are sex working and what aspects of the wider culture led to that is a good thing to think about. She also suggested some organisations that you can follow and support for trusted information on sex workers' rights here in the UK. Organisations like UK Decrim Now, Swarm, the English Collective of Prostitutes and National Ugly Mugs. There are links to all these groups in the show notes. What I have learnt from this episode, and what I hope you have learned also, is that it's not enough really for your heart to be in the right place, especially if you're privileged to be able to support from the outside. You have to do your research and, to push this already (laughs) overly used metaphor, have your ears in the right place also, geographically speaking, but they can be anywhere you want them to be on your body, to make sure you are staying informed and helping in a way that people actually want. If you want to see what Shan's up to, you can visit her website shandoxy.com and you might want to check out her new podcast, Poll the Other One, which is all about pole dancing. Thanks for listening to the Revolution Begins at Home bonus reflections podcast. If you enjoyed it, you should check out other podcasts supported by Content is Queen. This podcast was presented by myself, Karis Bradley. Many thanks to Chantelle and Shan for their great conversation, which you can listen to in last week's episode. Thanks also to Amanda Morgan for her help and advice. The music for this podcast is from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. <laughs>